So Wednesday evenings are a respite in the midweek to get to come here, sit under the Word, and pray with our, the people I love, it, I love and uh, the, you, you, you all are beloved to me. I think it's a, a, an honor and a privilege to open the Word with you all. Um, today we'll be in the Beatitudes. We're going to go back to where we were. Uh, Dave has been leading us through um, the doctrine of man. But uh, we're going to go to today Beatitudes in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5. I'll be walking you through um, verse 6. Um, so this is about hunger and thirst for righteousness. I was talking to Moses. I hope you all came with hunger and hungry and thirsty. So we'll, we'll see what the Lord has for us this evening. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we pray that you would speak to us at this time. By the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would work in our hearts to create that hunger for thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew, before we go into that particular verse, I'm going to walk you through a few things. If you go to a fine dining restaurant, they're going to give you an explanation about the, the special. And they're going to give you like how they made it and what, what, what ingredients they used to whet your appetite, and uh, they try to lure you into buying that dish. But uh, today, I'm not going to anything in that sort, but I'm going to lay an introduction, because the righteousness that only God can provide to his people, So, but I think it's good and wise to get into intro what Matthew is talking about here. Um, so, Gospel of Matthew is life of Jesus. It's the Gospel. Um, we see the genealogy, that he begins with genealogy and the birth and baptism and the temptation. Um, that's the start of Jesus' ministry. All these things that happen before he begins his ministry, public ministry. So when he came to baptism in Matthew 3.15, and Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Why he says that? Because John was a bit hesitant. I'm not worthy to baptize you. Uh, probably you should do the other way around. And that, that was Jesus' answer to him. So what Jesus is trying to do here is he's symbolically indicating that he would deal with our sin and guilt and shame. And when he came out of the waters, that he's symbolically showing that he's further going to indicate that he's going to victoriously conquer and destroy the, the sin and death, the grave. So without Christ, we will be in our sins. That's clear. We are aliens to God and having no hope of whatsoever. We were easily and naturally gravitated towards sin. Not only that, we are living in sin, we are slaves to Satan and his schemes. In that hopeless state, God intervenes time and space to send his only son to rescue us. Now, this is the important part. If you miss this part, the Beatitudes doesn't make any sense. Jesus victoriously conquered sin and temptation that, um, that we are being tempted with. He modeled a perfect obedience where we often fail. Uh, he did it in the same the, the flesh that we have. And Jesus could do all those things in his flesh. He finally conquered the grave and he raises victoriously and he establishes his kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount is the indication of that God's kingdom. 
So the inner working of kingdom citizens, what happens when you're in the kingdom? As you may know, Gospel of Matthew has five major teaching blocks. If you don't know, the, the five major teaching blocks is around uh, what is the kingdom and how the kingdom functions and what are the, um, the way that the people in the kingdom live. And we're going to notice today um, how the kingdom works, very basic things. Um, you notice here, each beatitude here begins with a blessing. It is an indication that all who belong to this kingdom are already blessed. Uh, these are not some rules or principles that we must do or perfect in order to remain in the kingdom. We must remember this, in Christ's kingdom, being is doing. And it's not vice versa. You don't need to do things in order to be part of the kingdom. So if you're a saved individual, I know many of uh, who, who, who are sitting here, are, you know Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you acknowledge that it is not that it is your own strength that you came into the kingdom. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that saved you. And most importantly, uh, you would acknowledge and uh, you constantly realize that the life that you now live you live unto Christ and to the glory of God. So that is the, the natural tendency of a saved individual. So we need to understand what causes that change in our lives. The gospel. It's a Sunday school answer. It's the gospel. The gospel is not something that you would add to your life to become a better person. I think that's what the old religions try to do. They try to add some principles, some good things, so you can be a better person, better you. The gospel does opposite. It demands that we must die to ourselves. Inward, inwardly we should empty ourselves in order that we may be found and get filled with Christ. So we do that. That is the, the inward working of the gospel, the glorious gospel that we have in our hands in the, and we get to hear preach here day in, day out, every time we come here, we hear the gospel that radically transforms us from inside out. And it presents us before God as new creation. So we start to realize that we have new desires because when we come to conversion, we start to realize, oh, I have this new longing. Before, I couldn't sit in the service and uh, I was grumbling for the 20 minutes of sermon, and now I can sit 40 minutes, and, and new affections, new stamina with patience, some, with some annoying people in our life, and when you see these things playing out in different areas, you see this is the gospel working in your life because it changed dynamically who you are, and it puts you in God's kingdom because now that the fruits of the Spirit are a reality. Up to that point, fruits of the flesh were flourishing and you are living all kind of unlawless life and now the fruits of the spirit are a reality so the beatitudes present us with these extremely basic principles and reminds us that we must deconstruct our old selves in order to be reconstructed by the power of the holy spirit so we're going to look into chapter 5 verse 6 today and we'll see what is his righteousness is about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
when I think about the word righteousness, it is a foreign term to a fallen humanity because we don't know where to begin to abbreviate the righteousness. There is only one who is regarded as fully righteous and that only one who can declare someone to be righteous. Not only righteous, but in their actions and thoughts and being every part of that person to be righteous, to be declared by that person, it is a blessing. And that person is the God of the universe, Yahweh. Now, here Jesus attributing these qualities of righteousness to broken humanity. Then you would naturally think how the righteousness fits into our human selves. Now, for a moment, imagine a person, we all are born with a deformity. We walk with a limp, okay? And we walk with a limp and we do everything limping. That's a part of life. And guess what? I think eventually that mainstream media and everybody is going to create music videos with the limp and uh, movies with the limp. The limp becomes a part of life. Nobody thinks it is a deformity. And someone comes and, hey, I think you need to walk like this, straight. And they're like, wait a minute. That's not how we do things. We limp. Now, think about that. Now, when, it, when Jesus says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're talking about something that is strange, a strange thing. So, now, how that came about, that we're going to look into in the next uh, few minutes, and then we're gonna, I'm going to make some applications, and that's, that's it for the evening. So, we are born with unrighteousness. We are born in sin, and we die in sin if not for Christ. And Jesus' comment about righteousness is exactly opposite to our very nature. Um, someone has to fix it, and it's going to cost it. It's going to cost someone dearly for that fix. And the sin that we deal with is paramount. So who is going to be that person who's going to come and rescue us from our sins? But God, in his kindness, uh, he provides a substitute. Now Jesus took our sins upon himself and bore the wrath that we deserve it is called a substitu substitutionary um, atonement. My tea is there. Uh, so the, the substitutionary atonement is, this is somebody is going to take your sins in place of Christ, uh, in, in place of yourself, and Christ is the one who came and took your sins, and he died on the cross for you. This is an amazing, amazing ex separate, uh, exchange. Why? Because um, when your sins are here, Christ's righteousness is here. On the cross, Christ paid for your sin, and he gave you his righteousness. So our sins were separated from us as far as the east from the west. You see that the clear distinction how it happened. Now, we have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. These are not simple things, and these are profoundly, um, not only theological, but it is life-giving to us. Because when we look back, into our assurance of faith, where that the assurance comes from, the sacrifice of Christ. So as a result, we now have become righteous, righteousness of God. The very righteousness that I initially I said, it is the God's character, 
Now Christ gave his righteousness to you, the very God who has the righteousness that he gave to the fallen humanity. Now we have that righteousness of God. We have the glimpse of the righteousness of God. What would you do with that now? The, the scripture points us that we are still sinners. Christ died, died for us while we are still sinners. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it is another text that points us, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our sins, Christ took upon himself, and he gave his righteousness to us. Since God deposited this allowance into our accounts as a result of the faith of his son. Think about that for a minute. Because that particular righteousness was given to you not because of your work or anything, but because of Christ's work. And it is solely given because of God's grace. So, what does it do? Uh, we have two things here. Positionally, we are pure and righteous before God. When we face God, um, He deems us to be righteous and pure because it is not our effort. He looks at His Son and says, yep, your righteousness has been given to this person and He's righteous. So when God sees us as righteous, just as His Son, and you will never be more righteous than the first you came to Christ. This is the dichotomy that people run into. Um, I started my journey, and probably after 10 years of conversion, I'm more righteous. I think there's a danger to that. The simple as righteousness is, because God has granted you at the conversion a perfect righteousness of his son. You, need, you don't need more righteousness than Jesus Christ after 10 years. You are having the same righteousness when you started the journey. After 10 years, you have the same righteousness of Christ. Because, beloved, we stand before God with the righteousness of Christ. So positionally, you're righteous. If you're in Christ, God has granted you His righteousness. You're free. You're free from sin, free from um, the slavery to Satan, but you are God's children. Now, how does it apply practically? Jesus is talking about hunger and thirst. How does hunger and thirst get produced out of you that you would long for this righteousness more? So God has given us this deposit, and we must guard out the deposit that was entrusted to us. Um, and uh, how do we do that? Well, one of the things that you need to think about is we must be the people of the Word. Because if God's church is built, equipped, and strengthened by the teaching, preaching of the word, a Christian life is not an exception to that rule, is it not? We think uh, a solid church is supposed to preach and teach the word. Yes, on the word, we build the church. But I think we should do the same because we build our lives on the solid rock of Christ. We have to be people of the word. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul is instructing young Timothy about the importance of the Scriptures. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there, there, there is instruction. We must take the word seriously because the word is the one that equips us, builds us, and helps us to grow in righteousness. Now, when you think about your role as part of a church, I, I, I am so grateful that I'm a part of Park Baptist Church because we have members who work, who encourage, who pray, who do everything in their strength to love one another. I think that's who we are. And that aligns with the righteousness of Christ. And a Christian um, should live engaging his head, heart, and hands. If you think that is a Christian, then we should take discipleship seriously, beloved. We should disciple one another, engage our talents in discipleship. When we do that, we're using our head and help to process our thoughts as iron sharpens iron, that we build one another in the image of Christ. So that's why the church is called to disciple one another. And likewise, we must love one another. And that's what I was alluding to. You guys serve really well one another. I think we do that with hands. So head and hands, while they're doing that, we should never neglect our time and communion with God. Because we are to be carefully tending our soul in the light of God's word and prayer. Because one of the primary thing is um, there is only one holy God. We, talk, we sang that song just before. And to face that holy God, we need to take holiness seriously. That holiness seriously, that in your thought, actions, in our um, deeds, we should strive to be holy. And uh, confess your sins um, daily to one another. I think that's one of the things that we must do as kingdom citizens. Now, when you think about this, this word, how this works in our lives, David writes Psalms chapter 1. The Psalm chapter 1 begins with, blessed is the man, right? You see that blessed thing again? Because he's pointing towards that blessedness is found in Christ, and blessedness and unmerited blessedness God will provide in the future. That was David's hope. David was alluding to a man or woman who will receive that grace, man and woman who will receive the grace from God, and Jesus, in a way, referring to that fulfillment of that blessedness bearing its fruit in its season. So all these things that Jesus was talking about, beatitude, these are the fruits of the Spirit. If you go to the Galatians, that's what they're alluding to. Now David concludes the psalm, chapter 1, with a pointer to what Jesus was mentioning in Matthew 5, 6 about the righteousness. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, dot, dot, dot. And I don't need to talk about the wicked, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. If he knows the way of the righteous, can't he satisfy us through his provisions? Absolutely. He will. Now, when you think about this hunger and righteousness, there are two things that I want you to take home with you today. Um, first thing is, only hungry, hungry people will be satisfied. I'm not talking about self-righteous here. Um, they all together need a different sermon. Uh, but if you are someone who are satisfied and have no lack of righteousness in us, and you are so comfortable with your life, 
I would question, what is the point of this instruction that Jesus is giving us? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you're already satisfied with your life, there is nothing else to strive for, there's some danger to that. So I'm not asking you to go find trouble, all right? Um, but always, as a living in God's kingdom, as citizens, how would that impact my walk with my family, with my church, my children, a spouse, and colleagues, friends? How does it impact? I don't have an answer for you. How does it impact? But I think the Lord would give you the answer if you pray. And I urge you to pray. Lord, why don't I have that righteousness? Would you please grant me that righteousness? But if you don't know Christ, that's all together, I would invite you to come and see one of our members. They'll explain to you what the gospel is and the saving power that gospel has. Now, secondly, if you're someone who's hungry, thirsty, persecuted, alienated, or depressed for the sake of righteousness, hear this, there is hope. There are days that you might feel tempted to think you're running in vain. And, but I want you to remember who that caused you to that state, that glorious state. Remember, he's a sovereign God. He himself caused you into that glorious state to brought you from domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, into the light. Now, Ephesians 1 is a perfect... Um, a worse to think about when, it, when, we th- when we think about that, the blessed state. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see that how the, the verse begins? Blessed. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, the blessed us in Christ. And this blessing, he has blessed us even before the foundation of the world. That's startling to think about. So, like I said in the, in the past, in, before, in order to be the citizens of the kingdom, being is doing. We need to believe in the works of Christ You need to believe in the blood of Christ. You need to believe that the resurrection of Christ, because not only believing those things, applying those truths to our hearts, knowing that we are secured on the solid rock of Christ. Now, Peter writes these experiences. Now, Peter, uh, if many of you know, Peter is a leader in the first century church. And Peter loves, he's a populist. He likes popularity. And he's a very good speaker as well. And he thought he could have Christ without the cross in the beginning of his ministry. And after had gone through many years with Christ and then having been persecuted, this is what he writes in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So Peter here indicating to his readers that we cannot claim Christ without the cross. Now, Christ himself had to go through the pain and suffering in this world, so we must do the same. 
We are not any exception to that. That's why the thirst and hunger are the real things in the lives of the believers. So whether you're suffering with the old sins, beloved, or disappointments or present failures, I'm not sure what's going on in your minds and hearts, but some I know. But only God knows your hearts deeply and completely. Only He can satisfy. And know this, we, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away and the new has come. He said that new thing, that means the God already working in your heart. Um, one thing that I'm going to, one verse from uh, Romans is going to summarize that, how we should live in light of this uh, new creation. Romans 1.16 <clears throat> For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteous, who are the righteous? Saved by God, saved by God through Christ. These righteous shall live by faith. In, in, in times of trouble, in times of doubt, in times of persecution, there's still hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to give you one, one example. This is spring. I know I mentioned the example in uh, one time in my Sunday school. I have a white oak tree in my backyard. And this tree never releases its uh, old leaves. The dead leaves are still hung onto the tree until the spring comes. And every other tree looks barren and empty. It lost its leaves. And this tree eventually sheds its leaves as the new leaves push those old leaves out. What's happening here? Our deadness is going to... God's work is not going to stay dormant. It's going to bring life, whether it's immediate life or it's going to produce life in its time. But we must be patient and be hungry and thirsty for God to show and do His work in our lives. And then one day we're going to present before the Lord, and when we see Christ face to face, there, our hunger and thirst are completely, completely satisfied in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Christ. We thank You, God, for sending Him as a propitiation for our sins. Father, we love You. We thank you for this body and the work that you've been doing. In Jesus' name, amen.